Alex. Yes, sir. Did you ever go through a Cowboys or Cool phase? Uh, I am in an alt-country band, so I think I might be going through it right now. I heard you've been writing songs for that band about how you got broken up with for a monogamist. Yeah, I guess he's the real cowboy. Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, parent. And I'm Alex, uh, just a boring straight white guy with a communications job. Uh-huh. Uh, but I am in that band, so, you know, maybe right. I'm Right, cool. yeah, you mentioned that just like a few seconds ago. <laughs> people should know. And how do you and I know each other? Well, I know you as the woman who took my children to McDonald's not once but twice this last weekend. Oh, they promised they wouldn't tell you. Yep. I know Those all about it. little stinkers. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, that's breakfast the last time that's going to happen. Breakfast and dinner at McDonald's in one day, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. As, as I mentioned to Jessica, 10 out of 10, no notes. Yeah. Very <laughs> impressive. Great day. Jessica, did you get that McDonald's breakfast in? Oh man, I wish I got a McDonald's breakfast because I took a train trip this past weekend and I went to the dining car and innocently ordered a grilled cheese sandwich and you know what they did with that thing? Hmm. They put it in the microwave. (gasps) Oh, That's like how they grilled it? That's how they grilled it. Wow. It was not pre-grilled. So, you know, the word grilled does have a meaning. In right. the term grilled cheese. Right. I think what you had was a microwave cheese. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And they charged me like $11 for yeah. it. Uh, all right. Yes. Uh, microwave cheese sandwiches. It sounds like you did have some notes for Yeah, I had notes on that. Everything else about the weekend was great. <laughs> really fell apart with that microwave sandwich. So speaking of disappointments, mm. Alex... Uh, are you going to tell us about this breakup, or do we just have to keep listening to vague songs <laughs> that allude to it? <laughs> yeah, it was, I actually think I'm, I'm going to write one where the, it's a, the metaphor for the relationship is a microwave cheese sandwich. I like that. <laughs> it was like the microwave cheese sandwich of relationship. Yeah, he's working no. on an album here. Yeah. Ooh, that's it's, bad. Uh, no, it was... Um, it was fine. Uh, it over the summer when this seems to always happen when the breakups happen when we're on our podcast break over the summer for some reason. Um, I had a short relationship that was like, it was nice and it was a person that I met on the apps and they were you know ostensibly non-monogamous and like on our. Um, I think our second date, the person told me that they'd been in like a pretty long, like a five-year monogamous relationship that they had just pretty recently gotten out of. Or like that's maybe when I found out that it, how recently that had been. Um, and they were like uh, interested in like, they're like, I feel like I've always kind of been non-monogamous and, you know, I'm excited to be exploring that now. And we dated for like four months or something like that. Um, it seems like it was a little longer than that. Maybe, maybe I five. I, I have it like in five or six territory yeah. in my mind, at least. Okay, fact check. Mm. Um, five or six. I'm not going to count right now because that would be tedious. Um, but uh, after five or six months, I got this. Uh, we have to talk. Text, and mm. I kind of knew what the text was because the person had told me uh, after you know the first 
chunk of that time that we were dating, they spent a fair amount of time talking about their ex and how like bad that relationship was and sort of doing comparisons to how much better they felt now that they weren't in it anymore. And then they talked about like how they'd started like kind of seeing that person again as a friend. And then like, um, it seemed like it had kind of re-escalated. So I sort of expected what the thing we, we might have to talk about was, and it was dun, 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 that they were getting back together with their ex Mm -hmm. and that that person was not comfortable with them was not comfortable with non-monogamy and would only date them if they would be monogamous with them. And thus, our relationship had to end. Ouch. Yeah. I, I felt that in my stomach. Yeah. I felt it like that feeling of the text coming in. Mm-hmm. And then knowing what the text was and then having it confirmed. It's just like a series of my stomach dropping into mm-hmm. my shoes. Yeah, and of course that stuff is always like on Tuesday morning or something like that where you're like, cool, I'm going to... I always kind of like lean into like, I'm going to just try to get this out of the way Mm -hmm. as quickly as I want to find out. I don't want to not know, you know, the thing that I maybe kind of know. You know, I want to just get all the information as quickly as possible. So I usually like move to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I have all the information now and I don't feel better. But I think that it's I'm going to be able to just be like, oh, well, I'll just get over it in two days and it'll be fine. But, of course, it, it drug on for a long time and there was a lot of other, you know, the, the whatever they call it in relation. The, the, I feel like there's a third and fourth and fifth act yes. <laughs> that we won't go into here. But um, I, I would just like to say as kind of a perhaps relevant aside uh, related to watching your partner or partners go through breakups is that it just really is such an experience where you know that these other acts have to unfold mm-hmm. before the thing is over, but you can't tell them to skip over it. Like, right. You, you just have to go through those acts, uh-huh. and it's so painful to watch. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for not saying anything. <laughs> I believe I tried one time, and you got very mad at me. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> so I was like, lesson learned. <laughs> uh, lesson learned. You can't learn people's lessons for them. No. Yes. <laughs> totally. But wait, so I thought you guys said this episode was about cowboys. What That's is- right. This this person was a rancher. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was Eamon Bundy, weirdly. Did they have horses? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would understand if this person owned horses. Uh, being left for a person who owns horses, that is, I'm not going to take that personal. Legit. Always legit. Uh, it's always personal. <laughs> always, always legit. Yeah. Um, no, a cowboy is, this is like a poly non-monogamy term for mm. a person who... Uh, a monogamous person who gets non-monogamous people and forces them to be monogamous. That's cowboying or cowgirling, right, Sarah? Yeah. This is not a thing I've ever actually said myself. uh uh, Yes. That's the term. You got, you weren't the cowboy. You got, she got cowboy. I was not the cowboy. I was the, Steer. <laughs> no, I don't know what I was. They got cowboyed. Cowboyed. Yeah, yes. the person I was dating got cowboyed. Is what you would say. Yeah, and the person, I guess in theory, the person they went on to date was the cowboy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Her ex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a. Uh, 
a clip from um, an Instagram account, Polyphilia, that uh, where where she's sort of explaining this that we could explaining how this mm, works or okay. what it means. Let's see what she has to say. We're about not it. very good at explaining it clearly, so let let me pull that up. <laughs> As people, as big city people, we're not good at explaining <laughs> so what a cowboy the, does. Does the cowboy ride the cow or? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. We're like, think... but where does the poking come in? It's <laughs> poking all the way through, Who's I getting... don't think. And then branding. Um, and... Cowboy, cowboy means like a monogamous person, like, like lassoed them away from the herd. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, that's where it comes I like from. that, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cow- a cowboy just means like, yeah, like when a monogamous person traps a polyamorous person into monogamy. But what if that person chooses monogamy? Uh, then, that's, that's, that, then that's different, but yeah, like. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, but definitely, um, you know, because, because you know, monogamy is like the norm, like it's, it's very common for people to be like, oh, well, you know, they like me, so. Um, <laughs> I just want them to like me better. Yeah. Oh, on top of that. What's up with the pan piping? I think it was a a Twitch stream she was doing, and so they're just having, she's just having a conversation with somebody, and they're playing video games or something. Yeah, it's probably a video game. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is that somehow relevant? If you watch the video, there's a tiny leprechaun playing a flute (laughs) next to her. Leprechauning is a completely different not <laughs> well, Tune in next week and we will explain leprechauning. I think it's... leprechauning is when you're like chasing the rainbow oh, for a good. pot of gold that doesn't that's exist. That's fucking Ooh. good. You heard it here first. Yeah. Register trademark. We should. I don't think you can trademark. <laughs> I just did that. So, I trademarked uh, it. Well, that, that's not how trademarking works. But we should talk after the... Copyright. Well, you have a lot of... Copyright. You think you have a lot of trademarks that you don't have. So. I hold them all. Okay. Patent. Patent. I, uh, I declare a patent. <laughs> That's what you're doing is dibsing, and it doesn't hold up in court. Uh, okay, so she said, um, oh, now I've forgotten. Uh, she said, when a monogamous person lassoes a polyamorous person, and I can't Takes remember. them away from the herd. Yeah, I takes them away from said. the herd. And it's sort of implying uh, that it's, like, somewhat, like, forceful or, like, against their will. Mm-hmm. That's what's coming up for me here. And then he said, what did the guy say? He says, but what if they... What if they want to be monogamous? What if they want to be monogamous? And she says, well, well, that's different. But then she kind of starts to say, but monogamy is such the norm that perhaps, like... I don't know. It's definitely, like, creating this impression that... Like, I guess you like... She's saying you like that person so much that you're willing to submit to their demands. Need for monogamy. Their need mm-hmm. for monogamy, yeah, to relent to their demands. Yeah, and I think what's coming up for me, and I think it was coming up for the person on the couch, too, was like, but how is that happening against their will? Right. Like, there's this whole kind of mm. narrative in, of intent here that the person, this secretly monogamous person, or this nefarious monogamous person, is going to go in and manipulate the situation to try and, like, get someone against their will away from their identity or the relationships that they want to actually be in. Which is like a little bit yeah. specious, I think. Uh-huh. I think it's like coming from a, like a, it's sort of like in-group terminology, mm-hmm. right? That is describing a thing that happens and it kind of feels that way when it happens. And I would say from my own perspective, it very it was very easy for it to kind of feel that way that like, um, you know, the person that I was dating was like, 
having a good time exploring non-monogamy was, you know, enjoying dating me. I was putting no constraints on our relationship and what they could do. And then, you know, this person who had a bunch of rules and maybe was like, uh, in my perception, less evolved than me Mm. and hadn't interrogated their own biases. uh, And, you know, just like hadn't really explored the possibilities and just had this closed-minded sort of knee-jerk monogamous orientation was saying, no, you can't do that. Yeah. And that stings. I mean, I, I don't want, I don't mean to make fun Um, Mm -hmm. because it does really sting when it feels like you have something going with someone that is thoughtful and meaningful and collaborative and you're building something between the two of you that is serving what the two of you need Mm-hmm. And then someone else comes in and is like, well, none of this is serving me, so stop it. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to be, I don't want to be like defending cowboys here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I also think that this gets pretty nuanced pretty quickly. Like mm-hmm. uh, plenty of people try non-monogamy for a while and it works and then it stops working and maybe it works again. Sometimes people are non-monogamous for, like, a period in their lives and not other periods, or uh, they choose to not be practicing non-monogamy in the interest of building a primary partnership or having children or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of reasons why people might move in and out of practicing non-monogamy. The opportunity to date an incredibly charming and handsome person (laughs) arises. (laughs) They can't resist. Yes, you're talking about you here, not the cowboy. Yes, I was talking about yeah. <laughs> Or, I mean, anybody. Could have been you. It could have been me. <laughs> uh, and I understand that like when these things arise and other partnerships aren't prioritized or ended in the interest of those like life decisions, it's hurtful. Oh, yeah. But I think mm-hmm. the question I'm asking is, is it wrong? And I don't know if that distinction matters that much, but I'm kind of curious about, like, do we have... Can we hold the fact that people might move in and out of non-monogamy or might try it and then decide it's not for them or might only operationalize it for a period in their lives and that that isn't a failure of their non-monogamy or of the relationships they had when they were non-monogamous? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I... I totally see that, but it's interesting. Like, I feel like I've witnessed this phenomenon. Like, it's definitely a thing that happens. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems like in my highly scientific study of a few people that I know. Yes, it um, definitely is a thing that happens. It's a thing that has happened to me. It's a thing that has happened to a lot of people that I know and who I work with in my practice. That thing being, you have a relationship that feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. That person is looking for a primary partner or they encounter someone who wants to be a primary partner and that partnership can't tolerate your existing relationship and so it ends yeah this is this happens a lot you're absolutely right i mean and so i'm sure you know there's nuance every situation is different that kind of thing but it definitely seems like there's potentially an element of shame here Hmm. that like people who are non-monogamous are part of a counterculture right or like a not the mainstream um you know, and so potentially, so it's like you have to, you're constantly sort of like working against the default, the path of least resistance, that kind of thing. So that seems like, I mean, do you think that that's part of what 
could be going on. People are being shamed out of their non-monogamous ways. I mean, I think that's what she was saying. And I do want to, in the, in the clip that we played, and I do want to make a plug for, like, we're kind of picking apart what she said in, you know, in the moment, but that's a great account for, like, general uh, um, sort of poly-affirming. Like, she's very deep in the culture and kind of, like, speaks to, like, um, those experiences in a way that is very kind of, like... Uh, it's not um, super like interrogative of the wise, but more like we're doing this counterculture thing, and like I'm gonna like talk about like why it's important and valuable, and I think there's definitely like a productive space for that. So if you want to follow it, it's Polyphilia Blog, um, and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but that is this sort of like it, again like this in group thing where she's like talking about like they lassoed them and pulled them out of the herd, and that herd is like the poly community that clearly like people are kind of protective of. Right. And like, it's people who have, you they know, feel broken small free. And yeah. And they're people who have broken free from, you know, that mainstream and it feels small and threatened perhaps by that shame that you're talking about. Yeah. Right. And there is always this looming question that I think probably people in polyamory are, aware of and that is like can you establish a primary partnership while practicing yeah non-monogamy i was just mm. wondering that too and mm. i think it is difficult and can a secondary partnership survive uh one of the people's transitions into a new primary partnership mm. i don't know that i've ever ever seen that happen me either <laughs> Which doesn't mean it hasn't. I'm sure it has. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are a lot of examples of how it has. And I would love for people who have those examples in their lives to reach out to us and talk yeah. to us about it. But I do think it is hard. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about why it would be hard. Why do you think, why are we all just nodding right now and acknowledging <laughs> that, yeah, of course that would be hard. Yeah. I mean, I think because to demonstrate the sort of primacy of that primary partnership or to demonstrate its like strength and importance or for it to like get established, it sort of needs to lay waste to all that's in its path. <laughs> you know, okay. I'm using exaggerated terminology, but like, you know, maybe it really feels like for the new partner to feel like secure and primary, like, you know, they, those other relationships are going to kind of feel naturally feel threatening. Mm. I don't know. Is that true? I feel like if they were cool, it wouldn't be true. <laughs> I like, mean, just be cool. It does make me think about how hard it is. Like just when your friends get a new primary partner, you know, um, and how frequently, you know, someone will start dating someone or decide to marry someone that you don't like. And that can potentially, that can be friendship ending or it can be a way that like you have a person suddenly like way less in your life than they were before like it it's, it's a real. big life shift right i mean it is also a trope for a reason that just in the world of monogamy when people fall in love and are pursuing a primary partnership that like might lead to marriage that you don't see that person as mm. their friend for like months and right. months and months and months and months. So it's possible you wouldn't see them as their secondary partner right. too. That mm -hmm. there's just this way that like all of the oxygen kind of gets directed towards that relationship. And it's hard to know how to maintain enough oxygen for friendship. 
friendships and yeah. other relationships, let alone other romantic relationships. And mm-hmm. if you have people, and it's probably the case that at least some of the people in that constellation are going to be relatively new to non-monogamy and not have a lot of practice with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you'd have to have a lot of tolerance for a lot of variation and like the, the kind of like stability and yeah, the level of engagement in your relationship to be able to kind of like mm. tolerate that change. Which makes me want to tell uh-huh. a sad story. Ooh, a, a sad, sad cowgirl story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think, I think this is still a cowboy story actually. <laughs> know what story you're going to tell but go on and we'll decide we'll ascribe the gender of this i just think it's it's sexy to imagine that it's a couple of cowgirls so just okay picture cowgirls okay there's two cowgirls on the range (laughs) two cowgirls on the range and it's lonely and it's Uh, cold yeah and no okay there's a huddled around a fire we'll fan fiction this out later okay uh people have definitely heard me talk about a relationship of mine that ended now probably two years ago, a year and a half ago now, a long time yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a relationship that was almost a year long in and of itself. Um, and a person who was like in a transitionary period in their life, um, coming out of a long monogamous marriage, trying to figure out what's next and dating non-monogamously. And, uh, in this case, like that person was really actively looking for a primary partner. They knew that, that was on the table from the very beginning. And I think both of us knew that when that happened, and in my mind, it was certainly more a question of when, not if. When that happened, it was gonna be difficult. Mm-hmm. Every single time this partner of mine, this ex-partner of mine would be dating a new person, I would be listening for how our relationship might fit into that. Uh-huh. You know, and there would be some candidates where I'm like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> you uh-huh. know? Like I could just hear it, you know, or, or I was like on guard, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was like your sort of perception or your like your feelings and fears talking? Or do you think that was like practicality? Who knows? But yeah. I guess the thing I would say is um, we're two women in partnership with each other. She was primarily dating men. Um, And one thing that I could kind of notice was a lot of these men were not like actively non-monogamous, but they were dating around, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they were like chill with Mm -hmm. the idea that Mm -hmm. she had other partners or was dating me Mm -hmm. as long as we were kind of in the dating around vibes generally. Uh Uh, But I was often aware, I'm like, this person has no experience with non-monogamy, right? They're going to think that our relationship is hot until this becomes potentially a primary partnership, in which case the fact that you have a girlfriend that you see regularly and are sleeping with mm-hmm. is going to take on a whole different meaning. You know, and it's like I was just kind of aware of that, um, yeah. that that was going to be real. And surprise, surprise. Uh <laughs> It was. <laughs> it was real. <laughs> All and, your worst fears came true. <laughs> um, you know, and that's like an unfair simplification, or oversimplification of what happened. But, you know, it was really hard for her to pursue a primary partnership with someone who, you know, she's still with that person. Mm-hmm. It has 
gone on to be like a central relationship for her and navigate having me as a partner at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back, if I had to do it again, I guess I remember her saying at one point, like, I'm having a really hard time establishing this primary partnership and dating you. And I don't Mm. know how to navigate it. And Mm -hmm. neither does this new partner of mine. Can we press pause on this? Mm -hmm. Can we put it on hold? Can we be friends for a while while I do that? And then sort of revisit Mm -hmm. the possibility of like a a romantic relationship continuing. And I was just like, no, (laughs) you know, and I think in retrospect, I have some, I have to take some responsibility for how inflexible I was Mm. in that Mm -hmm. department too. Um, I'm not sure that I would have done it differently. I don't know, but I just am kind of acknowledging based on what you just said, like when people are establishing primary partnerships, they can sometimes disappear from the other relationships of their lives, or it can be hard to continue prioritizing those relationships in the same way. If you watch your friend going through that, you kind of know in the back of your head, they're going to have new relationship energy. There's going to be this real excitement around this. And then uh, six months, eight months, 12 months, two years, we're going to be back at it. (laughs) And you do like have that perspective. It's Mm -hmm. harder to have that perspective as a romantic partner. And I definitely had a complete failure of perspective and imagination there. And I don't, um, that's not me saying it was the wrong choice that it ended the way it did, but it's just kind of an observation. Yeah. So maybe the next time that situation came around, you'd have that perspective, just like probably the first time your friend gets into a new romantic partnership and disappears for a while, you're really pissed. And then the fifth time you're like, yeah, yeah, this is what happens. They'll be back. Um, (laughs) So did you, uh, so you got cowboy too. In a manner. Do you feel like uh, that's what happens? What happened? Do you feel like there was um, like, nefarious goings on on the cowboy side was it like a because that term again like kind of brings the sense that like a manipulation happened like the 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 central person is uh you know doesn't have is is kind of like out of control of the situation and it's like the third party is coming in and like is one the one doing the cowboying the one doing the lassoing is that is that how it felt at the time probably Like, I would say in the moment, I was kind of like, man, this sucks. And like, who is this other person? And why are they all of a sudden, like, getting in the middle of a relationship that was like, feeling pretty good and okay. Mm -hmm. And so yes, I think with the perspective of some time, uh, it's more complicated than that. I don't think that that person intended to do that at all. I don't think that there was like nefarious goals. I think it's complicated emotional dynamics. Yeah. And based on the uniqueness of those dynamics, the amount of experience people have, so on and so forth, sometimes you can get through them and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're meant to and sometimes you're not. Um, I know that's making me sound like hmm. more evolved around this stuff than I actually am. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, I mean, to be a little less evolved about it, like in the situation I was describing, uh, I mean, I definitely just like heard the person that I was dating kind of say like, you know, I really like you. This, our relationship is great, but I'm not really like, you know, I need to do this other thing and I'm not really allowed to date you inside of that other, of that other thing. And it was very easy for me to kind of like, 
uh, at least at the time, in part because I was still like really emotionally engaged with the person that I was dating and I like wanted to be connected to them. It was easy for me to kind of like just blame the other person and just be like, God, I wish they didn't suck so much. Uh oh, yeah. my therapist <laughs> brain is going off. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, I think we talked about this term in our last episode, and it's definitely coming up for me again is the term of triangulation. Mm. I think the question I would have for you, Alex, as you're describing that is, why did you know so much about what was going on with this metamor who you never met? No. So never this, met him. Never I, met him once or more. Uh-huh. Oh, get I get I it. That was good. Okay. Uh, so I, I guess... <laughs> I'm like, this is, I'm getting curious here. Uh, About how I think of such stupid puns on this spot. <laughs> that wasn't in the script. I mean, yeah. I'm just yeah. amazed by that yeah. mm-hmm. uh, on a daily basis. No, I, I guess what I'm getting curious about is that a person you never met, and in the case of my relationship also ending, mm-hmm. because uh, someone came in as a primary partner, I had never met them either. Yeah, And they become the target of the reason why this relationship isn't working. But how odd that we would be very, very angry at people we had never met or ascribe a lot of intent or say that the relationship that we're in isn't working because of these people we'd never met. Yeah. But not direct those feelings towards the person we're actually in intimate relationship with. And you're saying this is something called triangulation. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so triangulation. Uh, what does it mean? <laughs> Sir? Great, great, great. I brought it up, so I have to define yes, it. You have to awesome. It doesn't have anything to do with threesomes, right? It certainly can show up mm. in threesomes. I think it actually might be, if I'm understanding correctly, I think threesomes might actually be kind of a solution for a triangulation. Okay, let's put a but pin in that and come oh, back boy. to it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So triangulation, the way I think about it and the way it shows up in my practice and in my life is when you have a, a, sorry, it's when you have a relationship between three people where there's a kind of... Hot. Say more. (laughs) So like a threesome. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck it. We're just going to talk about threesomes for the rest of this podcast. Who's doing what to do? All right. So the way triangulation... I think about it and the way I see it show up in my practice and in my life is where you have um, a kind of centered, intimate relationship between two people and there's a third person or even sometimes an entity that gets blamed for something that is showing up between those two original people, right? Or some conflict between those two original people is getting projected Mm -hmm. onto a third party or person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's like a little bit abstract, but so uh, go ahead. it's not specific to non-monogamy, not specific yeah. to non-monogamy at all. In fact, it's like a kind of classic relationship dynamic that therapists deal with all the time in more traditional relationship structures or families. Um, I'm trying to think of like a really kind of a classic one that oh, would show up. Yeah. This is making me think about like the holidays, right? And like, you know, who's family you're going to go spend the holiday with or, you know, oh God, it's like making me feel like I've had this very specific conflict in the past with in relationships. And, you know, so we'll kind of just, instead of figuring out what 
you want to do, it'll be like, well, my mom insists this, or your mom insists this, or your family is impossible. So we don't actually get to center what is going on between the two of us. I'm never at any point going to take responsibility for the fact that I would like to spend the holidays with my mother. Right. And you don't want to. And that is a conflict that is actually between the two of us. Right. But instead of keeping it there and sort of working through whatever that material is, we're just projecting it out onto my mom is making me do this. Right. Mm -hmm. My mom is insisting on this or your mom is. So it's like a projection out of what's happening between the two people onto a third party. But so there's like that kind of anytime it's a kind of projection out to another person. But then there's the sort of more specific instance where one party is like not taking responsibility for their own feelings and dynamics in the kind of two person relationship. And instead, like kind of punting those feelings or ascribing those feelings to Right. Another person and saying it's it's my mom's right. fault that this is happening and whatever they want to do. It's like if my mom wants us to go to Christmas dinner at her house, uh, regardless of how I feel about that, I should either come to you and say, you know, uh, I should work out my feelings about that before I present them yes. to you rather than, you know, making them. Right, kind of there's your a problem to solve. A big difference between coming to someone and saying, it's really important to me and my mom that we spend Thanksgiving together. Right. And I know that that might not be what you want to do. So I want to like talk through what our options are. Uh-huh. Then coming to someone and being like, well, I don't know what to do about Thanksgiving. I mean, my mom like insists that we come over there and it's not, I don't like, I don't care what we do. I just don't want it's anyone not, to be it's mad not at me. me. It's her. Right. And yeah. this is often when you'll right. hear someone be like, I don't care what we do. I just don't want everybody to be mad at me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like a kind of classic mm-hmm. signal that there's some kind of triangulation or like a lack right. of boundaries mm-hmm. thing happening. Yeah. You know, you hear it. I mean, it's so common. Like, uh, I can't hang out because my husband doesn't want me to. It's like, right. what? what? Why are we talking about your husband? I asked you to hang out. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I can't. Uh, he won't let me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not like the other person's feelings or experiences that third party isn't capable of influencing right. the couple, their relationship, or the individuals in it. It's that you're just like outsourcing all of your own feelings onto that third person. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, mm-hmm. it does. And so then you can, of course, see how this would come up all the time in non-monogamy. Totally. Because kind of by its nature, you know, in a monogamous culture, we're not used to having... Mm-hmm more than one person, <laughs> you know, we, we were used to having these sort of binary relationships. And so, um, you know, it's especially hard to like control our instinct to kind of like triangulate, uh, once there are kind of like other people involved and it's very easy to be like my partner, you know, I'm doing things that are making my partner have hard feelings and I want to just, and then there's this other person over here who they don't even know. Right. And it's much easier for me to just be like, it's not me that wants to do this thing. It's it's this person over here that you haven't met. And I'm just like trying to make them happy. And I'm also yeah. trying to make you happy. Yeah. Let me tell you, if you have issues with boundaries hmm. in your life, which, by the way, everybody does. Mm-hmm. So if you have issues with boundaries in your life, this is one of the first things that's going to come up in non-monogamy. Right. Where you're like, but I'm just like trying to keep these people happy. And like, what might mean this person's happiness might make this person mad at me. And now I'm just afraid that everyone's going to be mad. And so now I'm either like projecting, triangulating, hiding, Mm -hmm. deceiving, because I'm trying to 
compartmentalize all of these things. Yeah. So I don't actually have to just be in touch with what I want. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. be honest about that to the people I'm in relationship and with. And when I first started to like kind of get familiar with this term somewhere between five minutes and five weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I started really seeing it everywhere and kind of realizing times that I was doing it or being tempted to do it or like ways in the past that I had like learned the hard way, like, oh, it does. It really doesn't serve you well to do that. And it doesn't feel good to have it done to you because like, you know, in the situation I was describing, like it doesn't, yeah, here's this person over here that I've never met. And like, I kind of just have to like, hate that person or feel right. shitty about that person and just be like, you know, and in that situation I did actually like, I can't remember if I actually said this, but I was like, can I talk to him? <laughs> like maybe <laughs> with me and him talk it out, it yeah. would be fine. And it's like, of course that's not actually going to happen because you know, who knows how much of it was really real, you know, so much of it is just like internal to the hinge partner who mm-hmm. is, who is doing the triangulating. Right. I'm also and their desire to, like, their avoidance of responsibility for, like, what they want. Yeah, I don't know if this is helpful here, but something that my mom always said, <laughs> and it may actually be quoting a country song. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to look into this. She said, no matter what you hear or what you think you've seen, you never actually know what is going on in a relationship between two people mm. behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And... I think that is very true. I keep that in mind all the time as a couples therapist and a relationship therapist. What I'm seeing in my office Hmm. is still very different than Mm -hmm. what may be happening between these two people uh, inside their own dynamic in private. So I, I think being wary of assuming that you know that the narration that you're getting about a relationship is actually representative of that relationship. It's safer to just be like, you know what? I have no idea what's going on with these people. Uh Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful. That's like, it's maybe not the most like sophisticated thought I've ever had Mm. about this stuff, but it does strike me that in the two cases that we're talking about this recent breakup and the less recent breakup for me, I was getting a lot of information about what was happening with this metamorph, what was working, what wasn't working, how they were feeling. Um, and I don't know that any of that information was all that relevant mm-hmm. to me and that person's relationship and to what ultimately happened. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? It does, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, see, I hear in my practice all the time people who are in relationships that ended because another relationship couldn't tolerate this relationship, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this original relationship. And you always hear the person say, I wish I could just talk to that person. Mm-hmm. If they would just meet me, right? Mm-hmm. But you know the reason why you're not meeting, right? Mm-hmm. You know the reason why you're not talking to that person? It's the person you're in relationship with. Right. Yeah. It's not that other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I'm... I feel like I need a whiteboard and, like, some yarn. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tax no, to like, explain all the people I'm talking about here. But you get it? Uh-huh. I totally. So. I mean, in so many of the examples, it's like, I can hear myself having said stuff like that. I mean, it is when you're having a hard feeling and you don't want to disappoint someone, you don't want someone to be mad at you, yeah. it feels better, too, to be like, well, it's not me. I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's, you know, this asshole over here. 
Um, With all and of his unevolved feelings. Right. Yeah. You know, and he's not in the room. You also don't want to hurt his feelings, but it doesn't hurt him because he's not here. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes that, you know, it's like I'm sympathetic to the ways that it's just trying to sort of like sort of dose out, meet out the like hard feelings um, in a way that is more palatable. Yeah. So what should you do instead? <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, one thing I was thinking about is I can't guess at what was going on in the relationship of yours that ended. Mm-hmm. So I'll go back to mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even so, I'm making some, <laughs> I'm doing some guessing. But, you know, if my ex-partner had said right out the gate, listen, you knew from the beginning of dating me that finding a primary partner was my goal. And I have found someone and he and I don't know how to navigate building the intimacy and trust that we need to build together and have other relationships. And that really sucks. And I feel like shit about it. And it doesn't mean that what you and I had didn't matter, but it is the thing that is more important to me right now. And so I got to end this. It would have hurt like hell. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been more true mm-hmm. and maybe more transparent and an authentic way of ending things than. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because that's kind of, kind of like what I heard. I mean, I wasn't that, it wasn't that <laughs> nuanced or whatever, but it was much more. Uh, kind of like assertively ending things. Um, it was. It did like transfer all the relationship, the, all the responsibility to the to the other person still. Um, but it was at least initially like a lot more straightforward like that. Um, and that is maybe some pain that is inherent in hierarchical non monogamy. That if you're in a secondary or however you want to describe it partnership with someone and something's happening in that primary one, it's going to take precedent. Mm -hmm. And we can talk all day long about whether or not that should be the case. And I think I just see that it often is. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a reality of the way these dynamics can sometimes work that is like painful and problematic. And we got to kind of engage with. Yeah. And there's also a reality that like people are lonely Um, and that they want to have, like for all of the sort of critiques we make of the, of monogamy and like the kind of like, uh, you know, going through the motions and of doing it, you know, without any curiosity or interrogation. Um, part of the reason that it's popular (laughs) is because people like to have somebody uh, speaking broadly, people like to like have somebody that they're with all the time. People want to be together with people. Like, um, you know, they want companionship and like a person who's in a, a phase in their life or a time in their life when they don't have that companionship uh, and they're looking for it, they're going to do a lot and make a lot of compromises to prioritize, to prioritize it. And maybe that's where some of the kind of like cowboy lassoing stuff comes from is there's a lot of power in offering that. Right. And like, um, you know, you do get to, to some extent, like dictate 
some terms if you're like offering that to somebody who doesn't have it and you know i mean a lot of people are gonna make a lot of compromises on the other things that they want in order to get that and that is fair in a way i know this Mm -hmm. is maybe not a popular take because it's not like non-monogamy practiced in this ideal way but like what i can offer people that i'm with is worlds different Mm -hmm. than what a primary partner can i'm like of course you can idealize our relationship in some way, shape or form because I'm not the person you're necessarily going to call for like help on your taxes or like when you've got a stomach bug or, you know, that you're going to fight about how the bathroom smells like pee together. You know, like this is a whole different type of relationship and the kind of contracting that you're getting into is very different. Yeah. Um, And like if you were, you know, if you tried to cowboy me away from... (laughs) somebody anybody that i was dating i would be like yeah well it's been fun but sarah cowboyed me and (laughs) i'm (laughs) i mean that's that's complicated i wouldn't do that because of the values that i'm trying to bring to the way Mm -hmm. i practice non-monogamy and i also know that like there are things that we can't predict about how we're going to relate uh Mm -hmm. about what's going to happen inside the relationships that we're most dependent on when we panic Hmm. or when we get scared. Yeah. And that's like, you know, the other term that's coming up here is that term attachment panic. Mm. It's not just a hit album by Bloodstar. (laughs) Not just a hit album by... by The the aforementioned old country band. Wow. Nope. yeah, what is it's not it's not even a hit album. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, but yes. <laughs> Until this plug. What is y'all's understanding of that term, attachment panic? It's a thing I've heard you say. Uh uh boy. Um I mean, <laughs> so, okay, well, just <laughs> taking the two terms here. Um, I mean, you know, attachment is about it, it, how sort of secure you feel in your relationship. Um, Emotional and physical reliance and security. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, I think of secure attachment as things, like, things are not going to freak me out if my partner wants to go do something without me, you know, or like, I'm not easily going to freak out that like anything means, Oh my God, he doesn't love me. Right. And Um, this ties into what we talk about, like codependence or enmeshment mm, mm. when you're in a really like codependent or enmeshed dynamic, you can start experiencing like an attachment panic at the smallest thing, Mm, you know, Mm -hmm. at like, Someone going out to dinner with an old friend, someone mm. needing some time alone, someone prioritizing anything other so than the relationship. The panic is mm-hmm. like uh, the fear that you're going to like lose that attachment figure, right. like that the relationship is going to end because of like, like that's where the panic is coming from. And then I guess like the idea is that that is coming up in sort of like unrealistic circumstances, perhaps like you could be having a, a rational attachment panic, perhaps, but I think in most cases they're. I think it really depends. I mean, it's something that has a lot to do with what kind of attachment trauma you've experienced in your Mm -hmm. own life, what's happening in that relationship. Um, It's really that fear that someone, a relationship that you deeply rely on for your like safety, survival, 
emotionally and physically and in all the ways is threatened. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a relationship where maybe it is threatened, you might see that, experience that panic all over the place. Mm. Um, Mm. Or if you have experienced like really severe attachment trauma in other relationships or often with like a caregiver when you were young, it might show up in Mm. really intense ways that don't always make sense to other people. Mm -hmm. So what does that have to do with this? Uh, these kinds of situations. Um, you're saying that's the c- perhaps driving force behind the sort of third parties who are vetoing non-monogamy. Yeah, I think what I'm saying is we talk about non-monogamy in these, and I say we, and I'm talking about myself really mm-hmm. specifically, this podcast and the whole culture of non-monogamy. We, we talk about it in these sort of like idealized terms of how really self-aware evolved people with great intentions and lots of mutual care can perform these relationships in this ideal way. And the fact of the matter is these relationships are complex and messy and ever-changing and things like attachment panic might happen. And so for example, in the breakups that you and I have been talking about today, I don't know this, but I could imagine that our partners and metamors might have been experiencing some attachment panic mm-hmm. in developing these primary relationships and there being like other people. And there's just awareness of the person's relationship with us. Like yeah. the, that, the, the cowboy is like, I just can't deal with it. Like when I know that you're seeing that person, I'm just like freaking, freaking out. out. Mm. Yeah. And, and this can be I like can't an, tolerate it. an right. actual like nervous system response. Like people mm-hmm. can have real panic attacks. They can really, experience the physical manifestations of anxiety. Mm -hmm. This is kind of nuanced because we don't control when that happens to us, Mm -hmm. but we do have agency and control over what we do in response to Mm -hmm. it. So I just kind of like hold that complexity. Right. Well, and then the hinge partner also controls what information everybody has and like part of what we're talking about in the triangulation Mm. is like they control uh in both directions and so like you know they certainly uh can probably help you know the person who's experiencing that kind of attachment panic mitigate it in some ways like again not by like lying to them probably but like by you know managing the information that they give them about their other relationships and like assuring them, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're like in a primary partnership and they want to be like, there's things that they can do to affirm that. Right. Right. Um, and then probably with the secondary partner, they could just not make it their problem as much. Right. Yeah. And this is not going to happen cleanly or perfectly. Right. Yeah. You know, but it is maybe something to keep in mind. And one of the things that I have learned in almost four years of doing this now is what information I need to have about metamors. Mm. So other relationships that my partners are in, what of that information I want to know and what of that information I feel compelled to try and get, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and having some boundaries with myself too. Mm. Like, I want to know if something that's happening in one of my partner's other relationships is impacting their mood in life. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. If you're in a relationship with someone like this person 
you all broke up, I knew that that was happening. That was impacting your mood in life. That matters yeah. to me. And I want to have that information and be able to support you in the ways that I can. Right. right? Um, I want to know if the potential for like our relationship changing is on the table. Right. So if my partner has gotten to a point where they're like, things are getting pretty sticky in my life and in these other relationships. And I'm worried that it's going to impact us. And right. I want us to be able to talk about it. I want that too. Right. I do not want my partners to process their other relationships, especially insofar as those other relationships might have to do with me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, uh-huh. with me. Yeah. You know, I don't want to yeah. hear from my partner about how my metamor is, doesn't like me or is freaked out by me or is worried about the nature of our relationship in a processy kind of way. Yeah. That is just like, you got to take that somewhere else. Right. That's not a fair thing. It's not It's not a fair right. thing Mm-mm. for me to be trying to navigate. Yeah, and it feels unfair because you're just like, what am I supposed to do with that information? Right. I can't solve that problem for you. It's like... I may me. not have... I may never meet the person right. that you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with And it's them. sort of like... It's like my fault in that I am the, the source of those bad feelings, but there's nothing that I can do about it other than cease to exist. Right. So, or or yeah. just like start <laughs> resenting this mystery person right. or this other person that I'm not actually yeah. in this intimate relationship And I think with. maybe that's why that kind of messaging really does, or that kind of like interaction does kind of give you the message. We're probably going to break up because the person is kind mm. of saying, I have this problem and your existence is the source of that problem. And like that could be true, but them telling you that is is telling you something, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I do think there's also a uh, um, a more just sort of like simple, practical version of triangulation that to be avoided around just like availability and stuff. Mm. And like I've learned very mm. early on, like don't be like I can't do this thing on this day because of Sarah, mm. right? Like even when that's true, and it would totally make sense for that to be true, like you know. Sarah doesn't want me to, or like, you know, I have to do X, Y, Z. I, even when it's like, I have like to, to, you know, take care of, you know, I'm responsible for the kids that night. I would not say, I would not include your name in that. Mm-hmm. Like things like that, just like not making it be you that is causing that lack of availability. Right. You know? I know in the past, you and I have both have partners who had started like tallying how many times. Yeah one of us it was out with somebody else. Right. So it's like, mm. wait, I thought Sarah had been out like four uh-huh. times in the last two weeks. Uh-huh. Why can't you go out with me that many times? Eek. And it's like, yeah. that's you're mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. bad, yeah. bad territory yeah. there. Right. So that's definitely too, too much that information. Both made. Yeah. yeah. Jessica, what are your thoughts as Alex and I sort of on this? Yeah, no, I mean, just sort of the way you were just describing, um, not wanting to like blame stuff on another person. Like it made me think about work scenarios where there's like plenty of times where I don't know, there's been some annoying thing going on because some other person I work with dropped the ball or Mm -hmm. whatever. But it's like, but then if I'm going to tell somebody else about what happened, like, am I going to show up and be like, well, Alex fucked this up. And so it's like, I would never do that, you know? Yeah. I would just be like, okay, we had to push the deadline back because mm-hmm. 
or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know right. if I need to give you the reason. Here's the new deadline, you know, or like, yeah. here's the plan, right? It's sort of like, I have figured out what happened inside my team, right? And come up with a plan moving forward. And that's what I'm then taking, Yeah, you know? Um, that's yeah. a good point. And that's how I want to be. And it's easy for me to be that in my like business lady life. <laughs> I'm feeling like not so sure in my personal life. It's like sometimes you do it sometimes. It's hard. It's sometimes hard. And sometimes you don't even know how to. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to give us some grace here that we're talking about like really intimate, complex parts of us that are sometimes like really scared or you know, acting out the things that we saw in our family or trying to protect us or trying to protect others. Like that's why the idea of like the cowboy as having malintent just like doesn't scan for me because in Mm -hmm. my experience with people in intimate relationships, with the exception of some like sociopathic people out there, everyone is just like, historically speaking, cowboys are probably sociopaths like in mm. the whole manifestation manifest destiny frontier mentality westward expansion indigenous genocide yes you know they're yeah. problematic in that sense but anyway continue your point your very problematic point if you want to Sarah. <laughs> thank you <laughs> no no the floor is yours <laughs> just say what you want to defend cowboys uh my point was that people's intimate lives are really complicated and we're often doing the best we can and our best is often not that great. Mm -hmm. And it's something we all have in common, I guess. And non-monogamy will point those places out to you. And I guess a question that I have for you, Alex, um, if this ex-partner of yours had come to you and just said, you know, I've been experimenting with non-monogamy and there are parts of it that feel really good and like who I am. And also I've realized that having a primary partner is the most important thing to me right now. And I can't pursue that and stay in our relationship. And it makes me sad and I'm sorry. How would that have felt compared to this more kind of protracted, it's this other person's fault, fix it for me sort of dynamic that you were in? Yeah. I think the protracted, I, it would have felt better. I think that's not giving them the benefit of the doubt. They kind of tried to do that and couldn't quite follow through on it. And I probably made it a little bit harder by being really, you know, by not just kind of walking away, but sort of continuing to engage with them. And then, uh, but it didn't help that they'd done a bunch of sort of like talking trash about their, X mm. prior to that. <laughs> so I was like, wait, you mean the person that you said, you know, negated your gender identity and blah, 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 all this other <laughs> shit. And then it made it really hard to be like, that seems like a bad decision, but okay. Um, but you're right. It would have, it would have, you know, the, again, grounding the responsibility and like t- making a firm decision and being like, this is what's right for me, but it's hard because I like you. Uh, would feel better. Um, but I guess any time that a relationship ends and it's not because you're, it's, it's not because you're not getting along. Right. You're not like sick of each other and you're like, okay, it's one thing if you're in a relationship and you're like, we fight more than we have fun. This is making me more miserable than it's making me happy. We got to end this. Right. Right. Yes. That's a kind of relationship with its own pain and its own grief and its own loss. Yeah. But there is a kind of like narrative around it. You understand. Right. 
but it's different than one where it's like, you know, we can't be together for because of this circumstance. And, you know, when the circumstance is, I have to move to Tokyo for a job, it's like, that's one. But when it's like, well, I'm still going to be here and everything is going to be exactly the same, but we're just kind of not really allowed to do it because, you know, because of reasons that come from kind of from outside. It's, it's rough. Um, but even with the Tokyo example, that's someone making a choice. Right. Don't try and mm-hmm. humiliate Tokyo. Mm. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah. to our point here, mm-hmm. yeah. my job and going to Tokyo for my job is taking priority over my relationships in Seattle right now. That mm-hmm. sucks and it's sad. Right. But it's the decision I've made. Mm-hmm. It's very different mm-hmm. than I want to be with you and I want to stay with you and I want to like find a way to make it work. But like I have to go to Tokyo because yeah. of my job. I've chosen Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's in the, in there. They're like we were talking about earlier, like they're are many ways to say it's not you, it's me. And one of those ways <laughs> might be I've decided to go back to being monogamous with my ex-partner. and Or, you know, I, in your case, like, I, I want a primary partner and they can, the person that I've chosen can only tolerate monogamy. Or mm-hmm. even more complicated than that, I want a primary partner and so we need to, like, close this down while we figure out what that looks mm-hmm. like. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess that's a part of this thing that we've talked about that, like most of the people that you're going to interact with in the world of non-monogamy are going to be people in some kind of transition, like practically speaking, Mm -hmm. you know, based on, again, our informal survey, it's pretty rare to come across somebody who is like, I've always been non-monogamous or I've been non-monogamous for 10 years. Um, or, Something like that. It's much more often people who are making some sort of transition, you know, out of a long-term relationship and experimenting. Or I'm trying to think of what some of the sort of other examples that show up quite a bit. But I mean, definitely of the people I've met and dated in almost four years, the majority of the ones that I've stayed in touch with are not still practicing non-monogamy, hmm. which I try not to take personally. Some of them are. Hmm. Uh, the ones who are were the people who were married when I met them. And are no longer married? No. So the distinction is people I dated who were married are still practicing Mm non-monogamy. The people who I've dated who were exploring non-monogamy and not in primary relationships, Mm. the majority of them are no longer Mm. (laughs) non-monogamous. Right. Well, and that makes you... monogamous. I know. That's what I'm like. I'm like, oh, yikes. Well, but like that makes me start wondering about the timeline, too. Like maybe they're mm-hmm. being monogamous while they establish a primary partnership. Right. And then in two right. years, they're going to open that primary partnership again. And like maybe you do need to do that for a while to like establish a primary partnership. And maybe what we were saying a, a while ago, like in the, from a theoretical sense of like as the secondary partner, you just need to be a lot more patient and like willing to accept the big changes that are going to come along with somebody's life when they're establishing a primary partnership. Like maybe that patience is years long, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not like, you know, it is years long, or maybe it's also just accepting that some relationship arcs end that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that that's okay. And also part of this experience, part of being non-monogamous is that some of these relationships are going to end for other people. And that's mm-hmm. painful. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be left for someone else. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're increasing the chances of that mm-hmm. happening. Um, and especially yeah. if you're 
in a primary partnership and primarily dating people who aren't. Mm. That is mm-hmm. a circumstance where this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it feels bad and your feelings are completely valid and it's 100% okay for it to feel bad. And it also might not be that anybody has done anything wrong or there's a villainous cowboy mm-hmm. that forced <laughs> the issue. Yeah, Maybe it's more what I'm saying. There are just a lot of cowboys out there on the range. <laughs> you know the thing I don't understand about this cowboy metaphor mm-hmm. is aren't cowboys sort of notorious loners? I don't mm-hmm. think of cowboys who are like, gotta find me a woman and settle down. I thought like the whole narrative in the culture was that they were just like sort of roaming around you know having one night stands and again i'm telling you you're the cow yeah i think the woman is the cow (laughs) i keep forgetting that part (laughs) and cowboys do like to lasso cows a lot it is still not there's a better metaphor well let's work on this yeah uh, actually um Thank you for listening to Mistakes Were Made. Find us on Instagram and tell us what would be a better metaphor for this kind of behavior. Or experience. Cowboying or experience, because there's got to be a better one that that, uh, maps better. Um, And if you like this podcast, uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you get your podcasts. And also on Instagram. Uh, at MistakesCast is our handle. Um, and we're uh, moving to a th- every three-week schedule, right? This is episode two of season three. And we'll be back with episode three of season three in three weeks. Whoa. Spooky. <laughs> so we'll see you in three weeks. Is There's going to be no yodeling on this entire episode about cowboys? Oh, boy. Uh, we'll I put wish. it in post, I guess. I'm not much of a yodeler. Can we auto-tune that? Or <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. This is fun. Bye.